Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Sportsmall's Premier League preview podcast. I'm Pascal Lemaire and I'm here with Liam Apicella to discuss Matchday 15 in the top flight. Last week we witnessed Leicester's Jamie Vardy set a new Premier League scoring record as he netted for the 11th straight match in the one-all draw with Manchester United. The Foxes lost top spot to Manchester City though, while Arsenal now lie fourth after failing to beat Norwich. There's plenty to get through this week, so let's not waste any time and get to Saturday's lunchtime kickoff as Stoke welcome Man City to the Britannia. Liam, let's start with City. Two big wins at home this week. Massive wins, convincing wins. They'll be very pleased, especially Manuel Pellegrini. He spent big on Kevin De Bruyne in the summer, didn't he? A few eyebrows were raised, but he's showing the goods now. He scored three goals, but I think what will also please Pellegrini is they've shared the goals around. They're obviously without Aguero. But Delph has scored, Kolarov scored, De Bruyne's weighed in, Bonnie's weighed in. They really are starting to share around the goals, which is something that they probably didn't do last year, especially when Aguero was out last year. It seemed to cost them. Um, obviously, they've gone to the top of the table now, beating Southampton 3-1, and they're in the League Cup semi-finals. They've got Everton, who they'll probably fancy beating over two legs. Everton are in good form, but the way City are playing as well with these two wins, you'd have to fancy them, wouldn't you, going forward? Absolutely, yeah, and I think in midweek that League Cup uh, I mean it was only Hull who are, are, are a championship side a good championship side this year but you know City always expected to win that and certainly in that game I think the big, the absolutely massive thing for City was uh, the return of David Silva he came back in that game and you know it's, 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 it seems like ages since we've seen him play it's been I think around two months uh, since he got injured but he looked absolutely back to his brilliant best no rustiness at all he was dictating the play in the middle there like he likes to and you know, was, I think it was good, for, especially for City fans, to see you know De Bruyne get on the score sheet twice uh, with Silver playing because you know the, the worry was always going to be that um, that they both quite like to run the show in that playmaking role, and if Silver is going to have that free role, De Bruyne looks like he's, he's going to be quite happy maybe going out to the wing uh, and playing out there. So that was good. I mean, looking ahead to this weekend now, Vincent Company's still missing. He's obviously a massive player for them defensively and. Aguero, Joe Hart, the other two other players, the spine of that team, they're both doubts for this one. So, if those three are all missing, that will certainly give Stoke some hope. But they won't be uh, Stoke won't be very happy about how good uh, Silver looked in midweek. Definitely not. And you mentioned Company being out there. He he is a big miss for this game. I think uh, Mangala's obviously suspended as well. Um, that might be a blessing in disguise the way he's played recently <laughs> but obviously they'll have two Argentines at the back Di Michele and Otamendi they might be able to form some sort of understanding because City haven't defended well recently and um, I think that's probably contributed to their poor form away from home uh, we have the Liverpool game as well but go, looking back further than that they, uh, they went to Spurs earlier in the season there was no Joe Hart who is a doubt for this game as well um, Caballero, he hardly inspires confidence in a defence, or he doesn't seem to, and, and that showed at Spurs when, when they shipped four goals. They also shipped four against Liverpool as well, without company. They had Mangala and, and a rusty-looking Di Michaelis. You'd think maybe that he is a bit more up to form now, and Otamendi has started quite well with life life in the Premier League. Um, their away form, as I mentioned, is, isn't great, hasn't been great at all. They've not won any of their three last three away from home in the Britannia. Britannia Stadium is a very, very tough place to be going. 
Mm, absolutely, yeah. And Stoke, they come into this game, uh, 2-0 win. They were also in the League Cup quarterfinal action midweek. 2-0 win uh, over Sheffield Wednesday. Another championship side there, but certainly... Uh, there would have been doubts over whether they could win that because Wednesday, you know, they've already knocked out Arsenal this year, had some great results there, but a fairly comfortable 2-0 win, uh, some, a couple of great goals as well, Afalai, that first time volley was a great hit, and then Bardsley uh, with the free kick as well, and that was an important result for them because, um, you know, uh, at, at the weekend, 2-0 defeat uh, at Sunderland, which was very disappointing, you know, Sunderland right down there at the bottom this year, and they were in the game for a lot of it and then two quick goals, 82nd, 84th minute from uh, Van Arnholt and Watmore. Really disappointing that for Stoke because you know they had looked pretty good in recent weeks, been keeping some clean sheets and just to lose 2-0 like that against a team like Sunderland. Very, very disappointing. Leaves them 12th in the table but certainly great to bounce back uh, in midweek and they got Liverpool in the next round in the League Cup which given how you know Liverpool 6-1 winners against Southampton last night it's not the best draw I think they probably would have preferred to draw Everton but I mean when when you're a team like Stoke Everton, City uh, and Liverpool the, the other three teams they could have drawn any of those was going to be really difficult but possibly Liverpool the hardest one going given how good they're looking under Klopp at the moment but it was still a good win and uh, they'll take confidence into this one yeah, you mentioned they're the 12th, and to be fair to them, I sort of thought they would probably be higher. Their performances seem to warrant a higher position. Mark Hughes has done a fantastic job there. He'll want to win this one, especially with the way he was dealt with by City five or six years ago. Now that probably still hurts a little bit. I think we've looked at Stoke over the years, and they were a very hard-to-play-against side. They were gritty under Tony Pulis. They've obviously still got a bit of that, because Jack Butland been in great form this season. England call-up, people saying he should be putting pressure on Joe Hart. I'm not sure he's quite ready for that, but he doesn't look too, too far away. They've kept seven clean sheets in their last 11 matches. Um, while they're doing that, they're also expansive going forward. You mentioned a great goal from Afolai there. He, they're bringing players like... Afolai, a Champions League winner of Barcelona, he's coming off the Stoke bench now, which is showing how expansive they are. They've got players like Bojan. They're a really good side. And, um, of course, I mentioned Butland there at the back. He's obviously been linked with Liverpool and Everton, I think. They'll be wanting to keep hold of him. Hughes has said he's he's not going anywhere in January. And I think they're going to have to keep hold of him. There'll be people knocking on the door for Bojan and players like that. But, yeah, they will be very, very confident going into this. The win in midweek in the Cup will have, will have definitely boosted them. Absolutely, yeah. And their record against City at home in the Premier League is pretty good. They've only lost one um, out of seven against City at the Britannia, but that, that defeat they did have was last time out. Uh, City won 4-1 there in February. So maybe not read too much into that, but which way do you see this going? It's tough, isn't it? Because Stoke's home record is it's okay. They've they've won two, drawn one and lost three. It's nothing to write home about. Mention though, that City haven't been great away. These are two good footballing sides, and I, I think it could be quite an entertaining game. I can see them both scoring, but very little to separate them. I'm going to go a 1-1 draw. Draw, right. Okay, I think City, just they, they have looked pretty good in recent weeks. You mentioned, obviously, they haven't won in their last three Premier League away games, but I just think the return of Silver could be absolutely massive for this team, and I'm going to back them to win this one 2-1. So we've got one draw and a City win. There's six 3pm kickoffs on Saturday this week, and we start at the Emirates, where Arsenal are up against Sunderland. Liam will start with the Gunners down in fourth and a really disappointing one-all draw with Norwich last time. Yes, and it follows on from the disappointing trip away at West Brom the week before where they lost as well. If you're going to challenge for a league title, I think you've got to be winning these sort of games. West Brom away, Norwich away. They're really where big three points, gritty teams who like to dig in. You've got to break them down. 
Arsenal, we seem to have this conversation every year about them, don't we? They look, they start well, they look like they're going to go on and mount a serious challenge. And they, you mentioned there, they find themselves down in fourth when if they'd have beaten West Brom and Norwich, they'd be too clear at the top. It happens every year with them and you can understand the fans' frustrations, you really can. And to add insult to injury in that Norwich game, literally, they lost Sanchez, Cazorla and possibly Koscielny for this game. The top, the first two especially are very key players and Mertesacker at the back does not look the same player about Koscielny, does he? Absolutely not. And I mean, Koscielny, he, he could be back for this weekend. I'm, I'm not sure they'll risk him given, you know, there's that Olympiacos game coming up in midweek, which is of massive, massive importance. And you think they should be able to uh, beat Sunderland at home. But yeah, like you said, I mean, the injuries, it, you do have to, you can't, you do have to feel for them a bit, I think. You know, it is desperately unlucky, the injuries they've had this season. When you just look at the injury list now, it's Alexis Sanchez, Coquelin, Welbeck. You know, Welbeck, he's, yeah. he, he's had some good games for them. We've kind of forgotten man this year because he hasn't really played. Walcott, Wilshire, Arteta, Cazorla, uh, Koscielny and Gibbs both doubts for this one. And I mean Sanchez, whether Wenger should have played him in that game, you know, it's he he probably shouldn't. He'd already said that he wasn't hundred percent going into it. There was a little problem with his hamstring and now he's pulled up and he, he's gonna be out for a month, Sanchez, which, you know, especially in December, you know, arguably the biggest month of the year, certainly one of the busiest it's a huge blow for them because all are three months out injured that's massive as well because even though he hasn't perhaps been his best this season he's such a key player for them the loss of Coquelin uh, you know uh, last month was absolutely huge for them as well and if Koscielny can't play this weekend it's a big blow and certainly the way it's going for them it just I mean usually this kind of uh, collapse they have traditionally happens around February it seems to have come uh, a couple of months early this year but if they can if if they get to the new year having you know if they're still within touching distance of the uh, top of the table that will be very impressive because then they should get you know Sanchez coming back some of the other key players coming back as well and I think with the squad the way it is now I mean Özil you look at the stats for Özil he has been you know their star player in recent weeks he's had a hand in thirteen goals two goals eleven assists um, in his last twelve Premier League appearances but. I do wonder sometimes he doesn't really come across to me as much of a match winner. You look at someone like Sanchez; he you, he really does you know grab the game. But I think Özil, a lot of the time he does he'll chip in with goals and assists here and there. But you never really feel like he's gonna win you matches. And I think he really needs to step up now with, with all those injuries I've just mentioned. He it's a massive month for him, and if he can keep delivering these assists that everyone keeps talking about, and he just needs to I think he just needs to win more matches. I don't really see that much from him to be honest. You mentioned there he needs to be a match winner. He certainly does the next three games. The next seven days are massive for Arsenal. They obviously have Sunderland. They've got to win that to stay in contention at the top. They go to Olympiacos. They've made it so hard for themselves in that Champions League group. So much harder than it should have been with a group by Munich or obviously the stand-up side. But then Olympiacos and Dinamo Zagreb are hardly European heavyweights, are they? They obviously go there. They've got to win by two goals or win 3-2, 4-3, 5-4, something like that. And then obviously he's on to Villa, bottom club. They need another three points there. They really need 9-9, and, and Ozil's going to have to play a huge part without the likes of Sanchez, without the likes of Cazorla. They really are going to be looking to him to get them the nine points that they desperately need. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, some, you mentioned, I mean, I certainly agree with that. They they do need nine points out of nine this week, especially after, you know, a couple of bad results in the league recently. And, you know that you welcome Sunderland at home. Most fans, Arsenal fans, I'm sure, have earmarked this as a home banker. But Sunderland, you know, they come back in. They come into this game back-to-back league wins for the first time this season. Only the second time they've had back-to-back league wins since the start of last season. So, you know, impressive couple of results they've had, and both clean sheets in both games as well. They had that one-nil win at Palace, which you know it, it could have easily finished as a draw that game. It was the Scott Dan mistake. Uh, Defoe pounced on that, scored the goal, and then they beat Stoke at home last week and that was a very impressive result given you know Stoke's good form in recent weeks they had the late goals there from uh, Van Arnold and Watmore 
Uh, what more is looking like a good young player for them and yeah for those two wins there they're now two points clear of the bottom three Bournemouth and Newcastle uh, sitting in 18th and 19th and it does look good for the club you have to say at the moment I mean Defoe's a doubt for this one if he if he can't play that would be a blow because you think that maybe he's the kind of player if if say Koscielny isn't playing and uh, he, he's the kind of player who could give Mertesacker a lot of problems but even if he's missing it's a great been a great couple of wins for Sunderland and considering where they were at the start of the season most people thought the squad just wasn't good enough they looked absolutely doomed and things certainly looking up under Allardyce you mentioned there the two wins and they've been typical Sam Allardyce wins haven't they nothing pretty nothing to write home about but have been solid at the back which is not something we could say about Sunderland for the last two or three maybe even four seasons and they've been taking their chances as well when they've arrived it's typical Sam Allardyce like I say you mentioned the Palace win that was actually their only win away from home this season and I remember Gary Neville talking before that game and he said the way they were going to win this was soak up a load of pressure ride their luck and then maybe pounce on a mistake and that is exactly what happened Defoe obviously scored the goal you mentioned there they need him fit obviously he, he's their main goal scorer and this is the start of a, a really really tough run for Arsenal um, sorry for Sunderland they obviously go to Arsenal then it's Watford at home a game they must be winning then we have Chelsea and City away followed by Liverpool at home so they're out of the bottom three at the moment uh, ahead of the likes of Bournemouth and their rivals Newcastle but with that run you'd expect them to maybe be in the bottom three again come Christmas and New Year and traditionally teams that find themselves in that sort of position they often struggle don't they come the end of the season yeah they do yeah I mean it's I, I certainly when you look at those fixtures it wouldn't be surprising to see uh, Sunderland back in the bottom three come the New Year but you know I mean I was just reading that stat there that Sunderland have now won as many league games in six under Allardyce as they had in 17 under Avocats. So there has been a real turnaround in recent weeks, but if they're going to win at Arsenal, they'll need to you know, break a bit of a duck. They've only uh, won once in 23 league games against Arsenal in recent years, so they've really struggled against the Gunners. Which way do you see this one going? I actually think it's going to be closer than a lot of people might think, purely because under Allardyce, Sunderland will be hard to break down and, and Arsenal are missing some key players, but Arsenal still will have some quality on the pitch and I expect them to maybe nick this 1-0. 1-0, yeah, I'm actually going to completely agree with you. Like you say, I think I think there could be quite a lot of nerves at the Emirates, yeah, and obviously he's going to be missing a lot of key players, but I think, like you say, I think they might just be able to keep Sunderland quiet, and I think they'll just edge it 1-0 as well. So both picking Arsenal to win this one 1-0. Over to Old Trafford, where West Ham are the visitors to face Manchester United. Liam will start with the home side. Last time out was that one all draw with Leicester in a big top-of-the-table clash. Yes, and it's become the sort of game we've become accustomed to with Manchester United this season, isn't it? They didn't give too much away defensively. Smalling, again, was very good. But going forward, once again, chances were at a premium. They struggled to create them. They actually looked most dangerous in that game from set pieces, which is not very United-like. It's left them down in third when a win would have obviously lifted them top of the table, which is, is quite disappointing. But like I say, it was a typical Man United game that we've become accustomed to this season. Absolutely, yeah, and that's just three wins in nine in all competitions. But they are still, you know, handily placed in the table, aren't they? You know, top spot at Christmas, I think, is very much on when you look at the fixtures coming up before Christmas. West Ham at home here, who aren't in great form, as we'll discuss in a minute, and then Bournemouth away, obviously in the bottom three, and Norwich at home, another one in the promoted side. So I think certainly, uh, even though third in the table, they're only a point off uh, Man City and Leicester, so they're still very much in the race there. But like you say, they, it hasn't been, you know, the most exciting football, and I think. You know, obviously the big talking point in that game uh, was the Vardy, the Vardy factor. They did, you know, allow him to score. And I think just watching the goal back, I think Ashley Young, he was the man right there. He could see Vardy. The defender in front couldn't. He couldn't really see the run. The defender in front, and then Young just tried to let him go. Said, "Oh, that's the keeper's ball." And I, I thought it was really. I mean, I know Ashley Young isn't a defender, you know, by trade, but certainly the way he defended that was very, you know, just not tracking the run, and then just sort of 
suggesting that someone else should have got there was uh, very poor from him. But they did hit back uh, through the, the Schweinsteiger header. Uh, he's obviously had a big part in two of their recent goals after the um, the late winner against Watford, which uh, Dini hit over the line. So he's he's enjoying some good times at the moment, Schweinsteiger. And, and like I say, even though the results perhaps and the performances haven't been that exciting, you look at where they are on the table, it's pretty good. Um, in the Premier League and then in Europe, uh, they've got that massive game in midweek uh, at Wolfsburg, Champions League qualification on the line. Any kind of slip-up there you know, would hand PSV the chance to overtake them and, and, and go through to the knockouts, and that would be massive for them uh, if they didn't go through to the knockouts because even though it was a quite a tough-looking group, no sort of real minnows in the group necessarily, you'd, you'd probably say that, that they, they are the strongest team there and they should have be, be, been winning the group, but there's been a lot of uh, disappointing results. Yes, and, and Old Trafford really isn't a happy place to be at the moment. The fans there, they, they have a perception of the way their side should be playing. It's, it's two wingers and with plenty of flair and plenty of pace. And, and we're not seeing that from Louis van Gaal's team at the moment. It's strange because he's a coach with a reputation of having attacking teams. You think back to the Ajax side, the young Ajax, Ajax side that won the Champions League all them years ago. He's managed Barcelona with players like Rivaldo. By Munich, he had Ribéry, who who did really well for him. Thomas Müller, but United, it hasn't quite happened, and it, it's hard to identify why. There, there's so many style problems wrong with United at the moment. Obviously, in games like this West Ham game, he will still play two holder midfield players in probably Schneidlin and, and Schweinsteiger. Maybe Carrick might come in, but they're all very similar, and they, they they both sit there in front of the back four. And United fans are really crying out for one of those to get forward and, and offer some support to the attack, which the attack also isn't firing. Rooney is having big problems. It's, it's hard to see what he's really offering the team at the moment. Van Aal is sticking with him. He's his captain. He says he will always play. But there has to come a moment, surely, where he's he's rested, dropped, whatever the technical term is. It will be a drop-in. Um, Matter on one side, he, he's doing okay, but again, lacks a bit of pace. Van Hal said in January he need, he needs some pacey wingers, which which explains the interest that was in Sadio Mane in the summer. It's just, there feels like there's quite a few things that need to change at United. They obviously spent big on, on Martial, who started with a bang up front. All of a sudden, he's been shunted to the left wing. Not really sure why. Depay, the same. Played really well against Bruges in, in two games, but he's struggling in them. The team... They look a team scared to scared to make a mistake and take risks. Therefore, it's all sideways passing, backwards passing. I mean, I think United have probably had more possession than the opponents in in every single game this season, and they probably will again Saturday. West Ham will look to a counter attack, just as they have done with with most of their away games. And the way United play will probably suit West Ham, to be honest, purely because United will pass the ball in front of them, pass the ball, it'll get given away, and, and West Ham can spring forward. It's just. It's, like I say, it's not a happy place at the moment. You know, there's booing from the Stretford end um, after the Moscow game, which ended it, and that ended in a one-nil win. Same again with the nil-nil draw with PSV, and they can go top. You you mentioned that run of three games of West Ham Saturday, followed by Bournemouth and Norwich, and if they if they take nine points, which they could, you'd expect them to maybe go top. But I still don't think Old Trafford would be a happy place to be honest with you. So it's interesting times at Old Trafford. It really is. Yeah, so just as a United fan, let me just quickly ask you, um, where, say in January, if he's going in for new players, where do you think he really needs to strengthen the team? Further forward, I think I think he needs pace. I'm not the biggest fan of Jesse Lingard, don't get me wrong. I think he's done well, um, but he's, he's 22, and I often think that if he was going to make an impact, he would have done it before the age of 22. It feels like he's been thrown in a little bit because Depay is, is misfiring. On the other flank, we have Mata, who's a very talented footballer, but he, he lacks the necessary pace for me to be a top footballer. You look at David Silver, and you wouldn't say David Silver is necessarily quick, but he's got quick feet. He's a very dynamic player, and Matter is 
he's just not in David Silva's league and, and that's what United should be looking for I mentioned Mane again he's not well by any means world class but he would he would offer more pace and dynamism, dynamism to that United front line so I'd say either flank and, and Van Gaal himself has, has said that that they need pace out wide um, they had one obviously in Di Maria and, and that didn't work out for whatever reason they keep getting linked with Ronaldo and Bale which obviously isn't going to happen in January but these are the sort of players they need players out wide that can that, that might even bring the best out in Wayne Rooney if you flank Wayne Rooney with pace you obviously have Martial up front with possibly Rooney behind him and two quick wingers either side that could bring out the best in Wayne Rooney if he had pace around him Absolutely, yeah, and Rooney, he scored three goals in three games against West Ham, so he might be looking forward to facing the Hammers. And they go to Old Trafford, not in the best of form, to be honest. They've had no win in four after a seven-game unbeaten run. They're down in eighth now because, you know, uh, certainly they seem to have dropped off in recent weeks. Last last time out uh, on Sunday, home against West Brom, uh, one-all draw there. They certainly would have fancied winning that game, I think. I know, I mean, West Brom, they did beat Arsenal uh, the week before, but certainly to only draw one-all... Uh, home against the bag is probably not good enough they took the, took the lead with that great Zerati free kick fantastic right in the top corner and then they can certainly count themselves uh, a little unlucky with the equaliser it was that Lambert shot that um, Winston Reid diverted home unfortunately went down as an own goal for him so even more unlucky but certainly just the performances in recent weeks uh, for Slavon Bilic's side they haven't looked as good uh, like I said down to eighth and certainly any uh, they haven't quite kept up the pace like say a Leicester have you know they were right there right near the top four about three, four weeks back, but it's, it's just dropped off in recent weeks. I wonder if that's got a lot to do with the injuries they've got. There's there's three key players out for this game, Payet, Sacco and, and Enna Valencia. And the three of them, they're quick. And, and as I mentioned earlier when talking about United, West Ham likes playing the counter-attack, especially away from home. They've done it to the likes of Arsenal this season. Um, and without them three, you'd have to fear for them a little bit. Sacco's obviously out for two months for Valencia's had not but Payet is the one that, that really hurts he, he's the one that every, everyone scrambled to put in their fantasy football team after about two weeks into the season and it's obviously brought Andy Carroll into the team with these players out and watching them at Spurs a couple of weeks ago they seemed to really struggle to get Andy Carroll in the game they were obviously knocking the ball up long to Andy Carroll which you would do with his size but no one was getting around him to get the knockdowns like, like someone like Payet would and there's obviously Zarate and Lanzini who played very well during the first half against West Brom both of them at the weekend but what would worry me was the way they both seemed to fade out of the game in the second half didn't really notice either of them to be honest like having controlled the first half they're anonymous in the second half and going to somewhere like Old Trafford they're going to need them players to be on top of their game from the very first whistle and I, I do also wonder whether Carroll might also play potentially Blinds playing alongside Smalling where he pulls onto Daily Blind and looks to win that physical battle and then like I say the idea will be to get the likes of Zarate or Lanzini up towards Carroll to get them knockdowns like Payet would have done Yep, sounds like a good plan to me. We have to see if uh, Bilic goes with it. But you know, West Ham in recent years not enjoyed the best of times against United. Uh, United unbeaten in thirteen Premier League meetings against them, winning eleven, and West Ham have lost seven in a row uh, at Old Trafford in the league. So certainly points to a home victory this one. Which way do you see it going? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because United have not really set the world alight. They're obviously going to dominate the ball, and, and West Ham are going to look to spring on the account, on the counter attack. Can United break them down? I think they might just break them down, grind them down, and a one 0 win, I reckon, to the home side. Yeah, I, I can't really see West Ham scoring in this one, to be honest. I think, like you said about the injuries there, it's just I can't really see. It. I think it might be just a little more comfortable for for United. So I'm going to go for a two 0 home win. So both picking Man U to win this one. Okay, doke. Down to St Mary's, where Southampton take on rock bottom Aston Villa. 
Liam, we'll start with the visitors this time, rooted to the foot of the table after another defeat, this time at home to Watford. They are, and there was a really big moment in their game where their captain, Mika Richards, he equalised to make it 1-1 and he tries to G up the crowd and G up his team. He'd been very vocal during the week, uh, accusing players of not putting in effort and having enough bottle. He makes it 1-1 and you think, is this the turning point? Are they going to go and beat Watford now and carry on? But it didn't happen. The response to that was poor. They ended up losing 3-2. That's made it 13 games without a win now and it's really hard to see where they go. They're seven points from safety. There's a lot of games still to play, a lot of points still to be won obviously, but seven points for a team like Villa, they're offering nothing. It looks a mammoth total to make up already, doesn't it? It does, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, no team, I mean, just reading this stat, no team has ever stayed up after managing five points or fewer uh, from their opening 14 games. So it does really look very, very bleak for Villa. And, you know, you look at what Sunderland did, you know, they've they've now won back-to-back games. They've pulled, you know, seven points clear of Villa now, like you said there. So things really looking bad for Villa. Yeah, 13 games without a win is a horrendous run. And only two points in that time as well. I mean, one of those was that goalless draw uh, with Man City. The other one... Uh, the draw with Sunderland who are obviously one of the fellow strugglers there so they've, they've been horrendous recently especially away from home uh, and you know it was a decent start for Emi Gard wasn't it that goalless draw with City but you know they clung on in that game City could have easily had a couple of goals they missed some sitters and then in the, in the two in Gard's second and third games they've shipped seven goals four at Everton uh, three at home against the Watford team who you know for the most part this season have really struggled for goals they've been fairly solid defensively Watford but they haven't really scored that many at all and to concede three the way they did I mean some of the goals they were just comically bad I mean Igalo's one he looked offside but you know Kieran Richardson lazy getting out uh, played him on and the Hutton own goal was obviously a comical moment the way I mean I know he was trying to get in the interception there but surely that you've got to find somewhere else apart from the bottom corner to put it so simply not good enough and I just think that seven goals in two games conceded and you look at the next two fixtures as well Southampton away Southampton usually quite strong at home not uh, obviously in midweek against Liverpool but they're usually quite strong at home and then Arsenal uh, at home uh, next weekend so the next two games look very difficult you just see more goals being shipped and can't really see them climbing the table anytime soon especially without a player like Jack Grealish who is arguably their most creative and exciting player I mean guard stance is admirable we all know Grealish antics we don't agree with them but he's a great player and I'm not sure banishing him is helping anyone really I mean is he going to learn from that training with the reserves and things like that I'm not too sure and it's not just Grealish they need to strengthen during January transfer window and Randy Lerner will he give guard the funds they need players of proven Premier League ability they brought in a lot of French players maybe good footballers but not proven Premier League footballers and and one of those is, is Charlie Austin who I believe they've been linked with and he proved himself last year at QPR almost single-handedly kept QPR up with his goals didn't he but he's obviously now been linked with Southampton and the position Southampton find themselves in they'd probably be fancying themselves ahead of Villa to sign him wouldn't they? Absolutely yeah Southampton I think would be certainly more attractive proposition uh for Charlie Austin, whether I'm not sure if Southampton necessarily need another struggling Pella and you know Mane, Shane Long, Jay Rodriguez still injured. They've got a lot of options there, Southampton. But you know Southampton's last game in midweek just mentioned it briefly there. They had Liverpool uh, League Cup quarterfinals, a massive game for the club to potentially get through to the semis, and they take the lead. Uh, 45 inside 45 seconds, I think it was uh, Sadio Mane, good header at the back post, really poor uh, defending from Moreno, but. Then Liverpool, you know, they've been excellent, especially away from home under Jurgen Klopp, and they score six in the way they did. It was a tremendous display from Liverpool, you have to say. And I mean, Southampton, they're just complete capitulation from them. But I mean, look, looking at some of the goals back, I mean, the first two, especially uh, from Sturridge, both 
you know, there's a couple of brilliant, brilliant passes to get him in both times um, from Joe Allen and, and uh, Emre Chan. But both goals, you, you look at Stecklenburg in the goal, and I, I think you should have easily kept both of those out. I mean, the first one sort of it was a tight angle. It was, Sturridge did pick out the corner, but I think he's got to do, uh, be doing better. The goalkeeper there, and the second one goes under Stecklenburg's body. Uh, so did the third. You have to say there was that little touch, Marigi, which maybe put him off a bit and. Once it was 3-1 like that in the first half, the game was up really because Southampton had to chase the game and uh, Liverpool, the way they're playing at the moment away from home, especially when they get given space to counter-attack, uh, it was only going to go one way. Six, obviously, Mass, I think it's the biggest ever defeat they've had at St Mary's. So, huge, huge defeat for the club. And I think certainly, uh, back to Stecklenburg, it's Southampton, they have really missed Fraser Forster in goal there. He was a really, really excellent signing when they got him from Celtic, but... He's obviously, it's been out, he's been out for so long now with that injury, and I think they'll be really glad to get him back when he does come back. Massively, and as well as that Liverpool sort of hammering they have, they've lost their last two in the Premier League. And you mentioned Stecklenburg there. Southampton last year were famed for their how how little goals they conceded, how many clean sheets they kept. Fonte was fantastic. This uh, this time last year they've conceded ten goals. Fast forward twelve months, they've conceded seventeen, which is quite a lot, really. Seven doesn't sound a lot, but it's a lot of goals to be shipping at, at the same point. And I just wonder whether. They're almost paying the price now. They've defied the odds for so long, selling so many of their key players, the likes of Klein, Schneidlin, Milana, Lambert. All these players have, have gone, and it's a lot of key players to lose. And I just wonder whether maybe they're down in tenth now. Last year, this time last year, they were they were top, near the top anyway, battling for Champions League places. And I just wonder whether halfway is where we're going to see Southampton finish this season. Purely because, like I say, they've lost so many quality players over the last three summers. It was bound to catch up with them, and I think maybe that that is what's happening now. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's, the lead table doesn't make great reading. Like you said, it's back-to-back uh, lead defeats. Now they haven't actually lost more than two league games in a row since last December. And when you look at the lead table, they're down to tenth now. You know, in danger of dropping into the bottom half, seven points off the top four. And they certainly, I mean, when you see teams like Liverpool, Spurs, uh, you know, those those teams really pushing up towards the top, it's you can't really pick Southampton as potentially a top four contender this year. They threatened it last season, then start at some points this season. They've looked like they might join the party again but yeah recent weeks it hasn't looked too good for them and maybe just another solid top half finish on the cards and I think certainly uh, there should be goals in this one though uh, against Villa the last sort of uh, four games at St Mary's against Villa average 5.5 goals a game and uh, of course last when they met last season at St Mary's was that famous day for Mane uh, when he got the fastest hat-trick ever so more goals this time I think so. With the greatest respect, if you've just been fresh six one, the next team you want to play is Aston Villa, really, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. A side that are really badly struggling. Southampton, everything I said that they are struggling. They're still good going forward. They've got pace. They've got creativity with the likes of Tadic and Mane. You mentioned Pella up front. Um, I fancy them to win this and win this comfortably three nil. Three nil. Yeah, I, I, I think it will be a Southampton win as well. Pella is a slight doubt for this one. Hopefully, he's fit because. Well, for Southampton especially he's usually very good at home scores a lot of goals at St Mary's and yeah I think Villa might try and make it difficult in Southampton I don't know if they'll put three past them I'm going to go for a 2 nil win but certainly expect the Saints to win this one so both see Southampton winning this one fairly comfortably right over to the Liberty Stadium where Swansea host high-flying Leicester Liam we've got to start with the visitors in that game with Manchester United Jamie Vardy broke the record he did indeed. They may have lost top spot but it's a good draw against a side that have been very hard to break down you mentioned Jamie Vardy there he's his triumph it's been amazing hasn't it no one would have predicted him to do that um, it's a great record and one that's going to be very very tough to to break 
the United game was interesting because we've been used to Leicester this season playing with flair, the likes of Mares, the likes of Vardy on the break, pace, trickery. But it was a more solid performance from this time. I thought Danny Drinkwater in midfield stood out. He won a lot of tackles, made a lot of decent passes. The one worrying aspect for me was defensively. They didn't really look to have a leader, which was strange when you have a combination of Morgan and Hoof, two big centre-backs. But United got a lot of joy from corners. The, the goal come from a corner. Casper um, Schmeichel stayed in his line when he possibly could have come and caught it. But that might worry Ranieri that they might have a weakness identified now and teams will start to pump balls in the box because no one really looked to take control of the situation. And as I say, with two big centre-backs like they've got, you'd, you'd expect them to be solid. And that was the one worrying aspect. But hey, another draw and they're still right at the top, aren't they? Absolutely, and they've still only lost once uh, all season, which is you know level with Spurs as the fewest defeats in the league. There, they did obviously just behind uh, Man City on goal difference now at the top there. But as for Vardy, you know it was another very cool finish. And I think what's most impressed me with some of his goals has been, you know, he's he's he's, he's been on the run and he's had to take. And he, his first touch has always been bang on for just like setting himself up for a shot. I think United could have defended it better, but. You know that's that's his 13 goals uh, in those 11 straight games he's scored in 14 goals all season, and those goals you know they've actually won Leicester 14 points, which is more than any other player. So his goals have been really crucial. I saw a stat about Harry Kane that he, you know, he scored eight goals in eight games, but those eight goals have only contributed to maybe one point I think. So he's scoring in games where Spurs, you know, other players contributing as well. But for Leicester, Vardy is just doing so much for them. 14 Premier League goals in a season that's more than any Leicester player has ever managed before. Tony Costa got 13. Uh, in 99-2000 and he's, he's done that with only 15 I don't know 14 games of the season played so uh, an, an incredible record for Leicester you know they're the only team to score in all 14 league games as well only two clean sheets like you said they do probably need to improve defensively but uh, it, it's just an incredible achievement for Vardy and for Leicester themselves it is and now that the slight fear is the party pooper in me is the wheel. Are the wheels going to fall off now? They also go to Swansea, not in great form, but it's the Liberty Stadium, still a tough place to go. And then after that, it's Chelsea at home, Everton away, Liverpool away, and then Man City at home to finish the year. The fear is the wheels will fall off, but if they keep playing how they're playing, they're hard to beat. They keep doing that on the flip side. If they come out of that smelling of roses, then people are going to have to stand up and accept that Leicester are probably genuine top four contenders. Mm, absolutely, yeah. It could be interesting in January, you know, to see. If they, I mean, if they are still, you know, sort of maybe within sort of three, four points at the top, maybe even at the top themselves. I mean, I can't really see it given those fixtures you just mentioned. There's a really tough end to the sort of the half season. Um, but if they are still there or thereabouts, which you know they they still won't be that far off, even if they go on a, if they do go on a bad run, it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what stance the owners takes in in terms of January signings. Will they feel? I mean, Ranieri. I'm sure Ranieri will say, look. There's a real chance that we can get into the top four if maybe you just sign a one or two marquee players. It'd be very, very interesting to see. And I think that certainly Leicester have been doing so well, but the same can't be said of Swansea, unfortunately. It's just one win in ten for them. Uh, they lost 1-0 at Liverpool last weekend, uh, which, you know, they actually they, they didn't play too badly in that game, watching it back. It wasn't, there was not many chances in that game. Liverpool at home, uh, the games at home at Anfield under Jurgen Klopp haven't been really as exciting as when they go away from home and Swansea they did frustrate Liverpool in that and there was I think only two shots in target the whole game uh, one of those was uh, Milner's penalty uh, which was the decisive goal uh, and certainly I think Swansea they felt very hard done by with the decision there uh, Neil Taylor jumped up tried to block the cross and I can see why it was given he certainly his arms were away from his body I, there was no real reason I mean when you jump like that your arms they're not going to you're not going to be able to stay by your side because you need them to elevate but Certainly, they were quite a long way away from his body, and it wasn't like he was a yard away. It was a good three, four yards, maybe the distance. And I can see why it was getting very, very harsh. All the same, um, 
but you know that proved decisive in the end Milner stuck the penalty away and Swansea they just couldn't really create much uh, down the other end so like I said one win in 10 that win was against Aston Villa as well where they got the, the late goal to win there and with I mean Villa are rubbish anyway so it wasn't really much you know it's not like that that was a great win in itself because Villa down there at the bottom and Look where Swansea are on the table now, 15th, just four points from the drop zone. It was such a strong start to the season back in August, but one win in 10 since then. And yeah, 15th in the table. It's, it's certainly not gone well in recent weeks. No, I remember their win over Manchester United. I think that was late August, possibly early September, and everything looked rosy there, didn't it? And then, like you say, all of a sudden, four points off relegation. I think Gary Monk's bound to be worried because now they're on a poor run and now all of a sudden they've got the top two Leicester this week then Manchester City next week and, and January really cannot come quickly enough for them um, they've got Gomez or they've been playing Gomez up front he's now got no goals in 10 and one stat caught my eye was that he's been caught offside over twice as much as any other Premier League player he's since been replaced in the side by Adair who's still waiting for his first goal so obviously in January they, they need a striker or two someone probably prove them the likes of Charlie Austin have been linked with Aston Villa and, and Southampton but Swansea could do a lot worse than uh, put some money on the table for Queen, to Queen's Park Rangers for him I just think it's, it's hard You should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewellery whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. To know what's gone wrong at Swansea Gary Monk last season had a really good season he started well this season and then we had the madness last week of him dropping Montero and Sigurdsson and you're thinking he looks like a man under pressure at the moment and he needs a win badly whether it can come in, in the next two or three weeks it, who can tell I mean if they can if they can beat Leicester maybe they'll go on a run but it, it, it doesn't look good for Gary Monk at the moment it doesn't. I think it's interesting to compare Swansea and Leicester this season because they're, they're two sides who really haven't been affected by injuries at all. I mean, Matty James for Leicester has been the only player that's been missing for them, you know, consistently throughout the season. Swansea, you know, regularly I look at the injuries and they often have no injuries to deal with. And if you said at the start of the season, right, Swansea and Leicester, you know, they're going to have clean bills of health up until Christmas uh, or December at least. And who would you expect out of the two to make a top four charge? You would have said Swansea, wouldn't you, after mm-hmm. after last season? I mean, I know Leicester finished. You know, obviously the end of last season very well but it's it's weird how they've gone in completely different directions with clean bills of health and it's interesting that how much Swansea have struggled considering you know just how you know they've had a clean bill of health all season and it's just their players have really dropped off like the Gomez stat you mentioned there I, I think he's a real donkey I I just think that he he's he's had little flashes in the pan here and there where they'll go on you know three four game scoring streaks or whatever but when you watch him I mean that, that offside stat getting caught you know, twice as many as any other player. That's that's just stupidity, isn't it? I mean, like, there's running down the channels and trying to, you know, beat beat the offside trap, but getting caught offside that many times, you do, you do wonder sometimes. And Ed Air, like you said, he's still went for his first goal. Yeah, I completely agree. They do need a striker in January, and I think they they could certainly struggle this weekend. What's your prediction? Yeah, Leicester full of confidence, and with the pace that they've got on the side, Swansea confidence on the floor. I, I can see Leicester winning this one two one. Yeah, I think it's for so many weeks sort of earlier in the season we kept saying maybe Leicester's bubble will burst but I think it'll be another win for the Foxes here. I think certainly Swansea, 
they might cause them some problems and they did look a little better last week against Liverpool I think it's just the creating chances maybe they might be able to take advantage of you know Leicester's slightly more shaky defence but I just think Leicester will just outscore them to be honest I'm going to go for a 3-1 Leicester win so both both back in the away side to win this one Righty-ho at Vicarage Road it's a match between two of the promoted sides as Watford welcome Norwich Liam will start with the Hornets up to 11th after that 3-2 win at Villa they are, and I think it's a win that would have really pleased their manager, Flores. They showed a, a, a lot of character in that. There was a moment when Mika Richards, he scored, made it 1-1. The Villa captain lifted the Villa crowd, lifted the Villa players, and you thought Watford might crumble here, but to their credit, they held on, they dug in deep, and they ended up winning the game comfortably 3-2, to be fair. The scoreline looks close, but Watford were more than worthy winners, and it shows the sort of character and bottle to suggest that they're ready to hang around in the Premier League. There are a lot of people's favourites to go down in the summer, they, they added, I think it was about 14 or 15 players, which is a lot of players, obviously, to get to know each other and get tactics sorted. But to be fair to them, they showed some good character and that win was their fifth of the season. It's the same as they managed during their last season in the Premier League in 2006-2007 and, and everything's looking rosy for them at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. Nine clear of the drop zone now and they could move into the top half this weekend. And Dini and Igalo again on the score sheet at Villa Park. They certainly... They look very, very good together, those two. Dini really starting to find his feet now. He had that you know, real dry spell. It was his first Premier League season. Everyone thought he was going to come in and really adapt well to the Premier League. But he took his time, but now he's now scored in four of the last five and last three games in a row as well. No Watford player uh, has ever scored in four straight Premier League games. So he's chasing a bit of history there this weekend. And he does seem to work so, so well with Igalo, doesn't he? That, I mean, the two of them have created 23 goal-scoring chances for each other, uh, which is more than any other combo in the Premier League. So that's a... It just shows how well they work together and I think watching them play together is fantastic. They, they, they're two really dynamic strikers and Dini especially. I think it's good to see Dini uh, scoring goals because he's, he's been so good in the championship. Uh, I've watched a lot of championship football the last couple of years and he is, is just a fan- he was a fantastic striker and it's good to see him uh, scoring goals and it was a great moment for him as well scoring against Villa. He'd already said how much it would have meant to him because it's his home city. Uh, Birmingham, and he, he said it would have meant loads uh, to him to score, and he did, and he's he's doing fantastic. Watford doing really well, and like you said, they they look very much. Uh, I think they look very much set for a, a safe season this year. But what you were saying about Dini and Nagalo there, it makes it all the more confusing as to why they've only scored four home goals all season. I mean, three in the last two, so they might be improving, but four overall, it's hard to put your finger on why, really. Like you say, the understanding between the two of them looks really good. They've got some creative midfielders behind them. So it really is difficult to see why there is such a stat. But against the Norwich side that are struggling, they'll probably fancy their chances of adding a few more to their tally, won't they? Absolutely, yeah. And I think if you look at uh, Watford's next two fixtures, they've got Norwich and Sunderland. Uh, Norwich at home this weekend and Sunderland away. So I think they'll certainly fancy them pushing into the top half. And then they've got to, they do have a really difficult end of the year, though. Liverpool at home, Chelsea away, Spurs at home in their last three games. So if they can get some points there, maybe get four points in the next two as well. They just put themselves in quite a safe position going into the new year. Then there's certain things are looking good for them going into 2016 and hopefully staying up for another Premier League season. And like I said, they'll fancy themselves against Norwich this week. And you mentioned the sort of lack of home goals there, but you know Norwich. I think they'll fancy you know finding the net against them. Obviously, a, a club that they came up with from the Championship last year. Norwich last weekend. They come into this on the back of a good good result though. They didn't win, but they got a draw at home to Arsenal, uh, which is an impressive result. I know Arsenal. You know they, they they lost to West Brom the week before, but even so, for Norwich to get a point at home to them. Uh, very very impressive they fell behind um, to that Ozil goal which was um, you know a mistake from John Ruddy and there was a loose touch in midfield uh, got pou- pounced on by Sanchez and Ozil stuck it away well but then Lewis Graben uh, came up with the goal uh, shortly before half time big goal for him as well because 
you know, he, he at the start of the season he was he, he wasn't in the team for Norwich. He he had that moment where he went. Uh, I think it was AWOL after I think he got left out of the squad for a cup tie against Rotherham. Uh, he went AWOL, got you know suspended by the club, and it looked like he might potentially be on his way in January if he couldn't sort things out. But he's now come in. Uh, got the goal there which was good for him it was very poor defending I think Gabriel uh, tried to nick the ball in front of him grab him was just too clever rolled rolled off him stuck it away well and um, good for him to get a goal and you wonder if he's now going to become Norwich's main striker because they've struggled to really pick uh, one player who's going to lead the line it started with Cameron Jerome then Umbakani uh, played a couple of games in there and now Graben seems to have got the place Alex Neal can't really decide who wants to play up there so it was a good result for Norwich but it's only one win in nine uh, they lost five of those only three points above the bottom three, so it was a good result, but they, they just need a few more points, a couple more wins, really. You mentioned grabbing there, but it's it's at the other end of the pitch for me where Norwich have big problems. One clean sheet all season, which is a joint league low with Bournemouth, and I, you mentioned the ruddy mistake there. It's not his first this season. There was another one at Manchester City where he's come racing off his line, mm. tried to retrieve a situation, and Russell Martins ended up handballing, and they lose in the last minute. Would have been a great point at City. By his own admission, John Ruddy has been been out of form and, and it's a strange one because I've always had John Ruddy down as a, a solid goalkeeper he's been in England squads as the number three goalkeeper he's always been steady he looks very erratic at the moment and it's something that they're going to have to change because the upcoming fixtures they look ominous Watford are an improving side especially at home that's followed by Everton at home Man United away Spurs away and then it's a massive game against Villa you can see that being a real six pointer like I say Ruddy is going to have to improve defensively they're going to have to improve and put a few more clean sheets on the board if they are going to stay in the Premier League absolutely yeah and when you look at Norwich's record away from home it doesn't read too well either they've only won once away from home all season that was their first away game back in August when they won 3-1 at Sunderland since then drawn two lost four uh, and lost the last three as well so they haven't really played very well uh, away from home in recent weeks Uh, but which way do you see this one going? I think it's going to be quite tight this one. I'm not sure it's going to be high on entertainment. Um, I think Watford are going to squeeze this one 1-0. One 1-0, nil. One nil. yeah. I'm going to back the Hornets uh, by a goal as well. I think uh, I'm just going to go for a few more. I'm going to go for a 2-1 home win. So both picking Watford to win this one. Okay, to the Hawthorns for the last of the 3pm kickoffs, and it's West Brom against Spurs. Liam, we'll start with the away side. It's line fifth, but a 0-0 draw with Chelsea last Sunday. It was, and it was a strange game, wasn't it? Because we've seen Spurs this season attack the likes of Manchester City and Arsenal and cause big problems. They couldn't do that against Chelsea, whether it was a combination of Chelsea perhaps defending well. I think they did. They haven't this season much, but they did defend well at White Hart Lane. I think the other problem was the miles that Spurs are covered. Flying to Azerbaijan and back, not getting back till Friday. Takes a lot out of the body, and they seem particularly leggy in the second half, Spurs. So that might explain that. But on the plus side, it's a clean sheet. Pochettino has done fantastic work there. They look a well-organised, a well-drilled unit. It's, it's very unspurs-like, if you get what I mean, because they've famously played entertaining football but been very leaky at the other end, and he's come in and seemed to identify that. They're now very hard to beat. They still entertain going forward, but they're hard to beat as well. It's another string to their bow and something that Spurs have really needed over the last few years, and, and Pochettino looks to have implemented it. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're now unbeaten in 13 league games since that opening day defeat. Uh, to Manchester United that's their best ever unbeaten run in the Premier League and their best run in the top flight since March 1985 when they went 14 games unbeaten uh, a record they can match you know, by avoiding defeat this weekend it's been just very very solid and I think the game against Chelsea like you said it's one they I think especially given how you know Chelsea have struggled this season they would have fancied maybe beating them you know they've beaten City 4-1 at home uh, this year so they I think they would have uh, fancied it but you know a 0-0 draw certainly isn't the worst result keeps that unbeaten run going and 
no goals for Kane in that one, but he has scored eight goals in eight games, and he does. He likes playing West Brom. He scored three and two against them, so he'll fancy scoring this weekend. The only thing with Spurs, I would say, is that away from home, uh, they've got the thirteenth best record in the league this season. They've only won two games away from home all season. They've only played six compared to eight at home, but even so, uh, if they want to be considered real, you know, top four, even maybe title contenders this year, they just need to pick up a few more wins away from home. Only two wins out of six, not quite good enough if they're really going to mount a proper top four charge. And if they're going to do that, the next five games on paper look perfect. Obviously, there's there's West Brom on Saturday, and that's followed by Newcastle at home, Southampton away, who have, have been hammered by City and Liverpool recently, Norwich at home and Watford away. And, and if Spurs are going to finish in the top four, or like you say, challenge for the title, it's open this season. Teams look like they're dropping points everywhere, so it's open for teams like Spurs, teams like Liverpool. If they're going to do it, they need to be picking up points at the Hawthorns on Saturday. And like I say, I listed them four other fixtures there as well. And I think with the five games they've got before 2016 comes in, I think they really need to be looking to get into that top four. I think there'll be a lot of Spurs fans disappointed if they don't make that happen. Yeah, given the way they have played and like I said, how some teams have struggled, you know, Chelsea's still a long way off. I mean, I think for Spurs, just avoiding defeat last week was probably a good thing because... Chelsea obviously they, they, they're trying to string together some sort of really good run to push back towards the top four and I think it's going to be an interesting race you know we still maybe expect Leicester to drop out and between them you've got probably Spurs and Liverpool it's going to be an interesting battle Liverpool currently uh, two points behind Spurs Spurs there with 25 they're only four points off the top even after that draw last week so things still looking good for them and I think they'll definitely fancy their chances against the West Brom side who you know, two weeks ago they, they beat the other North London team, Arsenal, but they couldn't really follow that up last week. A one-all draw at West Ham uh, leaves them 13th. It's not it's not the worst result. They did well to fight back. You know, the, the only the only goal they did concede in that game was that excellent Zerate free kick right in the top corner. Nothing uh, Myhill could do about that. But then on the you know the flip side, you could say that they didn't create all that much in the game, and uh, the goal they did get uh, from well Ricky Lambert came on and his shot was diverted home by Winston Reid and. That there was a bit of luck to that as well so it was uh, not too much in the game I mean last Sunday you had that Spurs-Chelsea game the West Brom game and the Norwich game all three of those on you know the triple header Sunday none of them really excited to be honest but it was still an okay result no clean sheet there but when you actually look at the, uh, Tony Pulis's record uh, since he was installed uh, as West Brom boss back in January uh, the Baggies have had more clean sheets 16 that is than any other Premier League team so he's come in does what he does best Pulis you know really tighten them up at the back and they're eight above the drop zone as things stand. They look fairly safe, West Brom. I don't think they're gonna. They're not really gonna mount a charge for a sort of top eight place. But equally, you can't really see them being dragged down to the bottom this year. You mentioned Pulis's clean sheet record there. That's fantastic. But he's bound to be scratching his head a little bit when he looks at the fact that his side have conceded thirteen at home this season, which is more than any other team in the league. I suppose having had a look at their fixtures might explain it a little bit. They've played City, Chelsea, Everton, Leicester. Um, Arsenal last weekend and, and now Spurs coming up so they'll feel like the fixtures computers dealt them a bit of bad luck there but coming up after that it's the likes of Bournemouth and Newcastle so Pulis will maybe be expecting that to even itself out and perhaps their goals against Halley at home will not creep up too high second half of the season which is a big positive for them yeah yeah that is yeah when you look at those they've certainly played yes most of the big boys at home which means that then obviously they have to go to those teams, you know, away from home in the second half, which would be very difficult. But then, you know, equally, you can say that the teams they play at home will be a lot easier. Like I said, the likes of Bournemouth and some of the other teams at the bottom there, and they have actually won two of the last three at home. So they have improved in recent weeks, and it's a near fully fit squad he's got there. Claudio Jakob suspended this weekend, which which will be a blow. He's a key player for them in that sort of defensive midfield role. But I think that they might fancy their chances here. Which way do you see it go? 
I can see this being a very tight, tetchy affair, and I think Tony Pulis will get the sort of result he likes, a nil-nil draw. A nil-nil draw. I, I think Spurs, they'll be disappointed uh, how they uh, played against Chelsea last week. They haven't had a midweek game this week. I think they'll be much more refreshed. Uh, I'm going to back them to win this one 2-0. So you've got one draw and a Spurs win. Saturday's evening kickoff this week is at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea up against Bournemouth. Uh, Liam, we'll start with the visitors this time. Last time out, a really excellent game against Everton. Finished 3 all. Great game, wasn't it? Not great for the two managers, Roberto Martinez and Eddie Howe, but we loved it. From a Bournemouth point of view, Eddie Howe will, be, will have been bitterly disappointed with the way his side defended. A couple of the goals, the one for Lukaku, who's been allowed to turn far too easily. But they've shown some good character, haven't they? They're usually fast starters in a game, Bournemouth. Ten of their 17 goals this season have come in the first 30 minutes, but... All ten, uh, sorry, all three of the goals they scored on Saturday came in the last 10 minutes and in fact Stannis had his second goal that was timed at 97 minutes and 13 seconds which is the latest in the Premier League this season so, it's, so it shows that Bournemouth have got a bit of character and a bit of steel about them that maybe we thought they didn't have yeah yeah definitely and I think I mean Martinez he was disappointed how late that goal came and once Barkley had scored his goal and, you know you thought that was probably the last kick of the game but Everton's fans probably haven't done themselves any favours because they came on the pitch the Everton fans and that obviously took quite a while to sort out and that might be why the referee thought right we'll just add another minute on here because you know the Everton fans came on and then it delayed it and delayed it I think that might have worked in against Everton in the end but as for Bournemouth you know it leaves them they're still in the bottom three two points from safety you know Sunderland uh, beating Stoke last weekend wasn't good for them and Bournemouth, I think, you look at their end of the year, it's very, very difficult. I mean, Chelsea, we know Chelsea haven't been as good as they can be this year, but still a trip to Stamford Bridge is very difficult here. Uh, and then Manchester United and Arsenal away in three of their last five uh, games this year as well. And then the other two are West Brom away and Crystal Palace at home, which both of those look really difficult as well. It's a really tough end to the year for them. And I certainly think they might, they could, you know, come 2016, they could be maybe sort of four, five, six points uh, from safety and maybe... Depending on, I mean, Villa, we don't expect them to pick up many points either, but I think maybe Bournemouth, I mean, they're 18th, they're above Newcastle at the moment, but I'd be very surprised if they're out of the bottom three come the new year. I think the only real positive for them, you know, coming into this game, they've actually been, had a really good record in London in recent uh, recent times. They've won on four of their last five uh, league trips to London, so maybe they like playing in the capital, but I think it's, it's going to be a really tough ask against Chelsea here. It is, and last time out, Chelsea, it was a nil-nil draw at Spurs. It, it wasn't a great watch, was it? But you get the feeling that Mourinho would have been pleased with what he saw. He didn't park the bus like he famously said once before, but it wasn't far away from that, and they needed that because they've conceded 23 goals this season, Chelsea, and that's relegation form, 23 goals. That's, that's far too many, and very un-Chelsea and un-Mourinho-like. John Terry might be back for this game. That'll be a big plus. I know he's been out of form, but they always look a more compact, solid unit with him in there. Cahill's just signed a new contract which is another plus and the big news pop for me is Courtois near in fitness and if he can be fit that's a massive plus Begovic is a good goalkeeper solid enough decent but I wonder whether he was at his level at Stoke he's a number one goalkeeper at Stoke but with the greatest respect any higher and you're looking at as a, as a deputy a place on the bench Courtois is a world class goalkeeper and he'll instill some confidence into that offence that's been badly lacking and the Spurs game seems to suggest that maybe things from a defensive point of view are changing they still have problems further forward but at least defensively things might be sorting themselves out yeah they did look more solid in that one especially I mean Spurs in some of the games this year they've been excellent I mean the week before Spurs 4-1 against West Ham they were fantastic in that game uh, they beat City by the same scoreline at White Hart Lane as well I think, so I think for Chelsea to shut them down the way they did Kane didn't have much luck I think it was a very good defensive performance but 
further forward, like you just mentioned there, again, so many players disappointing. I mean, Costa was benched uh, by Mourinho and then he went out to warm up, looked like he might be coming on and threw his bib uh, seemingly in the direction of his of his managers. Doesn't seem very happy there at all. I mean, coming into this game, if Costa hasn't resolved his issues there, he might not be playing again. Falcao and Remy, the other two strikers, they're both doubts for this one. Uh, so you wonder who might actually be playing up front. They've actually... You know they've been linked with Emmanuel Adebayor. I saw a report linking them with him because you know he's he's a striker who is available at the moment. He hasn't really played this year, but there's there's still some wage issues uh, with Spurs there. That would be a it seems a bit desperate if they were to go with him. And it's some of the other players as well. I mean Fabregas, he had another absolute shocker in that Spurs game. So he, there was a highlights video I saw of some of the things he did in that game. It was one free kick, he just kicked it out of play. One he smacked his own teammate Willian in the in the head when he was trying to take a quick free kick and. Lost the ball a couple of other times. Just really, really poor. And Hazard as well. He's still yet to score this season. No goals in 24 games in all competitions. It is a staggering uh, record for someone who was, for me, clearly the best player in the Premier League last year. And it's amazing how much he's dipped off. So, I mean, if, if going forward, Chelsea, they really seem to need to uh, maybe just some new faces in there. Interesting to see what they do in January. But. You know, uh, the result itself, only a point, leaves them still down there in 14th, 12 points off the top four, 14 behind, you know, the top of the table. It's going to it's gonna take something monumental for them to even get into the top four race this year. And the, the way their uh, attacking players are going, I just can't really see them doing it. No, I agree. But there is a chance to get that feel-good factor back if Mourinho can somehow inspire them underperforming players. The likes of Fabregas, Costa, Hazard, as you just mentioned, they've all been so badly below par. It's untrue. But like I just mentioned, there is a real chance now because they've fancied their chances of beating Bournemouth for struggling Bournemouth side at home. And then that's followed by they've got home games against Sunderland and Watford. Again, teams you'd expect them to beat. And then even trips to Leicester and Man United on paper, not easy trips, but players that Chelsea have, the calibre of players they've got... They really could be getting points and, and victories in these places. And all of a sudden, if they can put four or five wins on the board, all of a sudden it's a different place and, and the players are happy. And they could then challenge for the top four. The title was obviously out of reach, in my opinion. But like I say, if they can string four or five wins together, starting with Bournemouth on Saturday before the end, before we get into 2016, then top four is definitely not out of the question. No, no, and they've got... I, mean, I think you sort of mentioned the chance there to sort of maybe get the club feeling good again. If they, They've got a massive game in midweek next week against yeah. Porto, which, you know, if, if they lose that game, it is at home to Porto, you'd probably expect them to avoid... All they need to do is avoid defeat to, you know, guarantee their place. But if they do lose, it opens the door for Dynamo Kiev, who uh, just need to beat Maccabi, who have been, you know, by far the weakest team in that group. So that's a massive game for them. They'll certainly, I mean... They don't want to, you know, take Bournemouth too lightly here. We know Bournemouth can play some good stuff, but I just you, you do just wonder if maybe they might be thinking a bit ahead to that Porto game because at this stage of the season, when it's been going so badly in the Premier League, they can't go out of Europe as well. That would just be disastrous for the team. Uh, but one thing for Chelsea is that their record at home against against sort of promoted teams is just superb. They've won four, their last four, uh, sorry, unbeaten in their last forty three home matches against promoted teams, winning thirty seven of those back to like two thousand and one when they lost to Charlton. So. Promote teams do not do reach. Do you see Bournemouth breaking that trend? Sadly for Bournemouth, I don't. And I actually think this might be the weekend where Hazard finally turns up this season and, and shows his true class. I could see him getting both goals in a 2-0 win for Chelsea. 2-0, yeah. I think Chelsea. I think Bournemouth might get something from this. Chelsea, I think Bournemouth, they can always score a goal. They've, they've got threatening players. The, the style of play they do, they might get a goal. But I think it'll be very comfortable for Chelsea. I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. So both picking Chelsea to win this one by two goals. 
Just the one game on Sunday this week, and it's up in the northeast as Newcastle welcome Red Hot Liverpool. Liam, we'll start with the visitors' massive win midweek, 6-1 at Southampton in the League Cup. It was, and it came off the back of that narrow, gritty win against Swansea, and I think that showed the two signs that Liverpool have got under Klopp now. They can battle and they can nick a 1-0, a dirty 1-0 if needs be, and then they can go and demolish a side. I mean, they were tremendous at Southampton. Had a nightmare start, didn't they? I think Mane scored within a minute down on the south coast but after that it was all about Liverpool Sturridge came back scored scored some goals Origi got himself a hat-trick will do wonders for his confidence because he's struggled since he since he arrived from Lille in the summer and they're obviously now in the semi-finals and a lot of people undervalue the, the League Cup as a competition but it was the first thing Jose Mourinho won when he came to this country and, and look what he went on to do with Chelsea and, and has done with Chelsea since and if Klopp can maybe get get that winning feeling going at Liverpool, you know there's positive vibes around Anfield at the moment, and it's it's, it's easy to see why. Yeah, definitely, and you know in the semi-finals, uh, two teams they would have wanted to avoid probably out of the two, Everton and Man City. I mean, Everton would have been nice, you know, the derby, but Stoke is the one that those three teams all wanted, and Liverpool were the team to get them. Um, I think they got the second leg at home as well, so it's a very nice draw in the semis, and obviously Klopp, Klopp, he, he would love an early trophy if he could get that under his belt. You know, you could end that sort of three-year hoodoo for a trophy almost within like a couple of months of coming in, and yeah, and it's now seven wins in eight games in all competitions for Liverpool. Like you say, two completely different games in the past sort of week or so against Swansea, they weren't at their best at all, and to be honest, they they have been better in generally away from home under Jurgen Klopp. You know, the week before they had that amazing performance at Man City where they completely tore the league leaders apart. Uh, against Swansea, much more difficult. Their only shot on target was in fact James Milner's penalty, which was debatable in itself you know you could have easily seen it not given Taylor you know certainly wasn't trying to handle the ball but you can't really put your arms that far away from your body and uh, a cool penalty for Milner and then in midweek they were just superb against Southampton especially like you say after falling behind and the one thing everyone has noticed in this team uh, under Klopp is just how much more active they are closing the ball down and uh, there's a stat here that they've averaged 6.9 kilometres more uh, and 84 sprints more per game under Klopp than they than they were doing with Rodgers uh, in the Premier League this season. So it's I mean it's noticeable on the eye. The stats back it up as well. That they're just so much more active going forward. And at the moment, uh, teams they're playing, uh, especially away from home, it seems just don't know what to do. Really, that they they get completely hounded. They can't. They don't seem to quite have the quick passing to be able to you know uh, ping it around the Liverpool players and, and start a break and. Uh, the way they're playing at the moment Sturridge obviously returning in midweek looking excellent there and uh, yeah Origi as well like you say he's, he hasn't been great but a hat-trick for him I mean one of the goals he barely touched it but he's been credited with it and they've got Benteke fit as well Coutinho he missed out in midweek but he should be back this weekend as well and yeah things looking uh, rosy for the Reds the big one for me there is the one you highlighted is Daniel Sturridge there's obviously been big question marks over him David Fairclough super sub as they called him at Anfield um, he was talking about Sturridge every week, questioning mentally about is he feeling pain. Even Klopp did. He he said that Sturridge needs to know whether he's feeling real pain, and it, it seemed he's been having problems. He's been sent to America with different thigh complaints and ankle and hamstring, and the goals in, in midweek would have done him the wonder of good. So with the performance and. Newcastle will be absolutely dreading facing him. He's got six goals against Newcastle, which is more than any other. He's got that against any other Premier League side, and four in his last three. So they won't want to be facing him, and not just Sturridge. Liverpool as a team, they must hate facing them because I think I'm right in saying that that no team has scored more Premier League goals against Newcastle than Liverpool. We remember them two famous four threes. They they love scoring against Newcastle, don't they? Mm, yeah, it's going to be a real, real, real tough ask for Newcastle, and especially. 
uh, as they come into this game really poor form themselves back to back defeats and eight goals conceded in those two games as well uh, there was the 3-0 defeat at home to Leicester who we all know doing fantastically at the top there but last week they go to Crystal Palace who tend not to be that they, they can be a bit unconvincing at home Palace and you know Newcastle took the lead in that game Cissé it was a, a well directed header he timed his run well nice cross in from the right from Yanma as well and uh you thought maybe chance here, but then they go and end up losing 5-1 uh, and some of the goals they were conceding. So, I mean, the first, the, the equaliser, which which obviously did really hurt after they, I think it was very quickly after they'd gone in front, it was a, a big deflection on MacArthur's shot and that was certainly unlucky there, but, you know, they just didn't respond well to conceding there and to let in five more after that. It's eight goals conceded in two games. You know, it, just, it feels like back to square one really for Newcastle because, um, they had had back-to-back clean sheets uh, in their previous two games uh, before the last two um, and things potentially starting to look a little bit better uh, but it just feels like they're, they're back where they started you know two um, one step forward two steps back that kind of thing and uh, 19th in the table now uh, after that big defeat last week um, Bournemouth you know back above them uh, really tough times for the club now and uh, McLaren just yeah he must be scratching his head and perhaps wondering how much longer he's got it is dire isn't it and they can't even call St James's Park a fortress which they have been able to do in, in previous years one win in seven Premier League games and that was a 6-2 win over Norwich which resembled a basketball match it was almost you score we score if that had ended 6 all, Newcastle couldn't really have had any complaints because Norwich fluffed some really really good chances they've not scored in their last two at home either and three of the next four games Liverpool at home Spurs away Everton at home and then Villa visit in the middle of that and you just sort of think you mentioned there how long has McLaren got and Ashley, Mark Ashley may decide to wield the axe if they get another big defeat on at the weekend against Liverpool and, and you can see that happening the way Klopp's men are playing can't you? Yeah definitely can and I think Liverpool there will be a I think a sense of fear in the Newcastle players the way Liverpool are playing at the moment and uh, I think a lot would be surprised if the uh, Magpies can get anything out of this one. Uh, do you see them getting anything? I don't know. Um, the way Liverpool are playing at the moment, I expect them to pick Newcastle off quite easily and I can see them running out really comfortable winners. 3-0, I'll say. Yeah, I, it's hard to back anything uh, other than a Liverpool win here, really, isn't it? And I think that um, just yeah, the way they're playing, especially away from home, uh, it has to be a win for the away team. I'm actually going to go 4-1. I think it could be very, very convincing. So, both picking Liverpool to win this one convincingly by three goals. And finally, on Monday night, we go to Goodison for Everton against Palace. Liam will start with the home side. Last time out in the league, really loads of late drama in that game, but ultimately dropped points for Everton. Massively, they threw it away, didn't they? And Roberto Martinez is bound to be fuming with his players at the end. 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go and then 3-2 up deep into stoppage time. They've got to be winning that game. A win, in fact, puts them four points off the top four, but as it is... They're now six, and it was a side that they really should be beating, a Bournemouth side that have struggled. And I'm sort of slightly worried about Everton because defensive problems were Martinez's main main issue at Wigan. They were great going forward, but they couldn't defend, and they ultimately ended up getting relegated. That's not obviously going to happen to Everton, but that was where, the, where Martinez's side fell down. On the plus side, Lukaku scored for the tenth time this season, which is the same as he managed the whole of last season in the Premier League. And he's looking a really good centre forward at the moment. He's been linked with the likes of Juventus and PSG. It's probably a bit too early for that, but when he's on top form, he's a handful. And there aren't many better strikers in the Premier League. But as I say, defensively, Martinez is bound to be concerned with what he saw down there. Yeah, I think he can be. Yeah, and obviously he can point to the fact that you know Phil Jagielka is still out injured. John Stones still is very, very classy centre back, and I think. 
a big thing for Everton from a defensive viewpoint uh, in midweek. Uh, Leighton Baines made his return in the Capital One Cup uh, quarterfinal against Middlesbrough, which uh, was another great, uh, I have to say, a very good performance there. You know, they've had some pretty big wins uh, in recent weeks, Everton, and this was, even though Middlesbrough are only a championship side, um, they, they can cause a lot of problems, Borough, and at home especially, Middlesbrough, their, their, their defensive record is supreme in sort of the last year or so. I think in the last sort of 30 odd games, they had never conceded more than one goal. Uh, in a game and a lot of clean sheets in that time as well and within it was about half an hour or so in midweek Everton had put two past them and it was uh, Delafeu again who he's just been a real star in, in sort of the last month or two I mean Lukaku's goal uh, against Bournemouth it was Delafeu's pass again from the right those two when Delafeu plays those passes in from the right uh, it's just it, it, they he, they seem to be on the same wavelength almost every time and in midweek Delafeu opened the scoring superb solo goal took on a couple of players then picked out the bottom corner and the second goal was Lovely team goal. They worked it well down the right. Delafeu squared up uh, the left back Amor Bieta, did about seven step overs, beat him uh, to the byline, crossed in and Lukaku's movement, and then the header in off the far post. It was a brilliant goal, and those two they're, they're linking up so well. You've mentioned Lukaku; he he's been a real star for them. And Barkley's also been contributing in recent weeks. He, he disappointed me a bit, Barkley, uh, a few times earlier on in the season, but he seems to have found his fire again. And with Delafeu there creating so many chances, Lukaku scoring all the goals. Uh, Everton do look very good and it was a massive win for the club in midweek because they haven't won a trophy uh, for 20 odd years they've never won the league cup uh, through to the semis now they did perhaps get the toughest draw I think well Liverpool and Man City were the two sides to avoid for Everton and they would have liked to have drawn Stoke but as it is they've got City uh, which is a very tough game but when you get to the semis you know you get two legs against City maybe they might have only preferred one they might feel that they had more of a chance of beating them over just one game than two legs but they, 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 can, they could beat City and only sort of you know, three decent results now away from winning. You know their first ever League Cup, first trophy in twenty years. Which, even if say it doesn't go to plan in the league this year, if they can get that trophy, it would be absolutely huge for Martinez and the club. They could well be City, and they could end up being Palace as well. Because one thing that they do do are raise concerns over defensively, but they do score a lot of goals. They obviously got three at Bournemouth, two at Borough, who you mentioned were notoriously tight defensively, and. Palace travelled to Goodison Park, which is a place where Everton has scored 10 goals in their last two games. Admittedly, the opposition wasn't great. It was Sunderland and Villa, but to score 10 goals in two games against anybody at Premier League level is great. You mentioned Lukaku. He's been banging them in. Barkley weighed him with a couple against Aston Villa. Played really well. He was man of the match in that game. Delefeu's adding goals to his game, and his crossing is, is really good at the moment. The likes of Lukaku, Kone, Barkley are all benefiting from that. I said it, I'll say it again. Defensively, there's been problems, but going forward Everton are free-flowing at the moment they look one of the best sides in the league and they look like they can score against anyone including Palace yeah I would definitely agree with that and we've, we know that Everton they got most of their tough fixtures uh, out of the way uh, earlier on in the season Palace at home here they fancy their chances here and then you know up to 2016 after that Norwich away Leicester at home that's going to be a really good game I think you know because we've talked about Everton uh, scoring a lot of goals at home we know that Leicester are doing so so well at the moment then they've got Newcastle after that, then Stoke at home up to 2016. So they don't really play any more of the big boys uh, in 2016. And I think there's a chance they could be right right near the top four come the new year if they can string some good results together. Um, but Palace won't be a, an easy game here, that's for sure. Palace, they last weekend, uh, 5-1 win uh, over Newcastle at home, a massive win for them. Uh, and especially good considering the way they, they fell behind. Some It was quite slack defending to allow. I mean, I think they probably tried to play the offside trap, but no one really went with Cissé. He timed his run well, put the header away. It was a good start for Newcastle, but then the way Palace came back, you know, spurred on by, you know, uh, Balassi, Zaha, those kind of players, they were excellent again. MacArthur got two goals as well. First time he's ever got a brace as a professional. One of them, uh, 
uh, a very fortunate deflection which sort of galvanised them with the equaliser but after that he was another excellent player there it's the first time they've ever scored five goals in a Premier League match as a club as well so really really impressive display it was only Newcastle who we know have had a lot of problems this year but for Palace another decent result for them and they're sitting quite pretty there in uh, seventh place they are. You mentioned Zaha and Balassi, and I think they're a reason why their their away form has been so positive. Uh, they, they really are a standout side. I know Zaha's suspended for this game, but he'll probably be punching in maybe to, to play down that flank. They've won four games away from home this season. That's a record only Arsenal can better, which which shows how good they are on the road. And, and since Alan Pardew took charge in January, his first game was against Dover Athletic, non-league side in the FA Cup. They won that, and they've also gone on to win 12 in total away from home in all competitions, which just goes to show that these these players with pace he relies on them heavily one game always sticks out in my mind was towards the end of the last season um, Steven Gerrard's last game at Anfield as a Liverpool player the likes of Balassi and Zaha they, they tore Liverpool apart and there's probably another reason as to why they've got a really good result at Everton Liverpool's neighbours um, record at Everton sorry Liverpool's neighbours they've, uh, they've won four of the last six there and um, the last two have been by 3-2 margin which goes to suggest that there might be goals in this one as well yeah, that would. I think it certainly would point to that, given that Everton's recent form. I mean, both both sides have been scoring quite freely recently, and as you mentioned, Palace they've had a good time uh, at Goodison Park in recent seasons. Do you see? Do you see them causing another upset here? I see them causing problems. Um, I'm not sure they'll win the game, but both sides are going to score goals because I think there's question marks over them defensively, and I think they're two very similar sides. So I'm going to go an entertaining two-two draw. Two-two. Yeah, I think we've got a back goals here, haven't we? I think. It would be disappointed if this one finished nil nil or one nil or something like that. And I'm going to back goals as well, but I'm just going to back Everton to shade it three two. So both see goals in this one. One going for a draw, one going for an Everton win. Okay, doke. That's it then. Ten games discussed and no doubt some bad predictions made. Make sure you head to sportsmore.co.uk throughout the weekend for live coverage of each and every one. Uh, we'll be back next week for the podcast for Match Day 16. We'll see you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.